This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have discussed on several occasions the issues that don't get addressed surrounding the recession that the U.S. suffered through almost a decade ago. One area is the responsibility of the people in charge of the companies that were most responsible for what occurred. There were heavy fines paid by the companies themselves, but what about the penalties for the decision makers? For the most part, they got off scot-free. Some of them did have to pay fines, but with the amount of money that those C-suite executives make annually, any fine was well, realistically a drop in the bucket. A new book looks at why there weren't more prosecutions of higher-ups in some of these companies. The book is titled The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. Jesse Isinger is the author of the book and joins us now. Jesse is also a Pulitzer Prize-winning senior reporter at ProPublica. Jesse, great to have you with us today. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, so let, let's look at this from the broad uh, spectrum. Why weren't there more prosecutions? Well, the Justice Department has lost the will and ability to prosecute top corporate executives. They focus on settlements with corporations for money, as you said, and uh, I think this undermines justice in America. They, they, they lost the will. Um, that's, that's not exactly an excuse I think a lot of Americans will take to heart. No, I don't think it is a good enough excuse. But uh, what happened was there was a a series of aggressive prosecutions in the wake of the Enron era scandals. Many of your listeners will remember that energy trader fraud that went down. And after that, there were... uh, a backlash against uh, aggressive prosecutions, and prosecutors suffered fiascos and losses and lost tools. And uh, gradually, over time, they uh, the skill set eroded. And now, I don't think that they can prosecute top corporate executives. Part of this is also, uh, I get the sense that it is a little bit of a kind of an old boys network in that uh, some of these people that were in these prosecutorial uh, realms uh, also probably had to be thinking ahead when they were not in those positions anymore. Yep, there's a big revolving door here. You know, we talk about inequality in this country. We talk about things like mass incarceration where we disproportionately punish the poor and people of color. Well, the flip side is that we don't punish uh, the rich and powerful and uh, often white men. Um, And the reason is, one reason is a kind of elite affinity, class affinity, that the prosecutors and these executives all come from the same milieu. And it's just hard for them to see them as criminals, as one SEC executive, or excuse me, a regulator, put it in an email that I uncovered in the book. Um, he says, well, these Goldman Sachs bankers, they're good people who've made one bad mistake. And this is <laughs> what they think of as um, for executives. Suffice it to say, they don't think of young black males on the street dealing drugs as good people who've made one mistake. Jesse Isinger is the author of the book, The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. He joins us to talk about his book. Uh, Jesse is also a Pulitzer Prize winning senior reporter at ProPublica. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, then you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I I think it's interesting, to say the least, uh, that uh, we are talking about a period of time 
uh, where seemingly we have seen unbelievable uh, economic growth, uh, especially in the last few years, yet we still see examples, Jesse, of of well Wells Fargo being being one of the cases uh, where you know you have uh, uh, false bank accounts of about two million users. Uh, you certainly have a couple of executives at the top of the realm uh, that probably should have been prosecuted. Uh, yet if you look overseas, uh, Volkswagen, uh, the former CEO of Volkswagen may very well be prosecuted for what happened with the Volkswagen emission scandal. So part of this also you have to look at what's going on globally, at least in some cases, uh, and in comparison to what's not happening here in the U.S. Yes, and my argument is that this is not just an issue of the financial crisis, and it's not just a, something that plagues banks and bankers. It is a problem that started building before the financial crisis in 2008 and goes to persist to today, and it affects not just banks, but financial uh, entities of all stripes and also industrial companies, um, retailers, tech companies, pharmaceutical companies. We have a problem prosecuting individuals at the highest echelons. I, you know, occasionally other countries do it a little bit better. I don't think um, their record is so spectacular. Right. But uh, we have a problem in this country where when we have wrongdoing at GM or even Volkswagen, um, where we're, we are prosecuting but not doing that um, very effectively, or at Google or Walmart, we don't seek to find the highest level wrongdoers and try to bring them to trial and bring them to justice. And seemingly the public pressure that may or may not come in a lot of these cases has little or no effect. Well, I think the public is very angry about this. I think oh, yeah, the public absolutely. understands yeah. that there is injustice in America and a, and a two-tiered justice system, and it, it feeds into uh, uh, this anger, and uh, I think it undermined Hillary Clinton. It undermined President Obama when they tried to reform the financial system. They People saw it. No one is personally being held accountable. And I think it fed into the anger that fueled Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if you remember, ran against Wall Street, ran against gold. Goldman Sachs for yep. taking over and owning politicians. Of course, that was ridiculous since he ends up putting installing Goldman Sachs executives <laughs> in his White House. But right. um, but there was this rhetoric that fed into it. Well, right, and exactly. And once you get the job uh, in this case, uh, you know you can make the moves that you need to make. Uh, you know it doesn't matter what the past is anymore. Right. Um, and uh, so I think that uh, despite that rhetoric that uh, he's given over his administration to uh, a lot of bankers and yeah. corporate executives, and um, one of the effects will be, in, including, in addition to a lot of deregulation and lower taxes probably, is that we are going to have even less accountability for corporate crime. Uh, I'm a big critic of the Eric Holder regime, the attorney general under Obama. And I think, unfortunately, Jeff Sessions is going to be an order of magnitude worse. Uh, we're talking with uh, Jesse Eisinger, who is the author of the book, The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess to a degree, part of this uh, is the reason why we have Dodd-Frank, or at least have it now, uh, was to try and kind of rein in some of the things that were going in, going on in the banking industry. Obviously, that may change in the, in the future. Uh, but again, even with Dodd Frank and some of the uh, the uh, the ideas to bring forward to try and rein in the banking sector, we still have issues with them today. 
Yes, I don't think Dodd-Frank uh, solved any problems um, or didn't solve enough problems. I think it was an incrementally good um, piece of legislation, but it sort of speaks to the way Democrats approach these issues, which is on a kind of technocratic and systemic level. They seek to try to reform the system rather than prosecute individuals. They criticize prosecutions as kind of weeding out bad apples. The old line Republican idea and the sort of um, the traditional idea was law and order. They wanted to save capitalism from the bad capitalists and put a few people in prison. And the, the, the answer is that you have to do both, right. and both go hand in hand. And the legitimacy of the reforms only work, only, the reforms only have legitimacy if you're also punishing the wrongdoers. What I mean, you mentioned about the post-Enron period, but I mean, I would think that there had to be, you know, a couple of situations right, pretty much right after Enron, where uh, we saw the 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 wrongdoing done by a variety of executives, and there was no prosecution. I mean, were, were there turning points in this that you saw that really stand out? Yeah, the Enron uh, era is a turning point. I mean, there yeah. of course have been. Um, prosecutions that uh, failed and we, we didn't punish people in this country. It's never been a golden age where the rich and powerful, if they committed crimes, were sure to go to prison. We've had silver ages. And the yeah. silver, there was a silver age after the Enron prosecutions. The government under George W. Bush prosecuted some of the uh, executives who were closest politically to his administration. Kind of a remarkable thing. Um, with Enron, and they signed a task force, a SWAT team of prosecutors and FBI agents, and they solely had responsibility for that. And they succeeded. They prosecuted almost all the top executives from Enron. But oddly enough, what happened was it came to be viewed as a bunch of cowboys who had made a bunch of mistakes and were overly aggressive. Uh, and so what happened was the Department of Justice mislaid the lessons of the Enron task force. They thought that these guys had done um, the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And that has influenced the way they um, enforce corporate law-breaking now, today. How much do you think the, the Supreme Court decision to overturn uh, Arthur Anderson's conviction plays into this? I mean, it was a, it was a piece of it uh, that certainly affected the way uh, Department of Justice prosecutors saw the prosecution. I think the uh, Arthur Anderson prosecution was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. This was a recidivist uh, entity that had been the handmaiden to numerous corporate frauds and had clearly obstructed justice. I think that if they had retried that case, they would have won. Um, of course, you did, they didn't retry it because Anderson didn't exist as an entity. Um, it was a bad ruling, I think, and... Um, from the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court can make mistakes. Um, what what happened, though, in the wake of that is the Department of Justice effectively decided we'll never prosecute another company again, indict another large company again. And instead, what we'll do is we'll start to settle with corporations. And so they start to settle for money. And the money doesn't come out of the executive's pocket. It comes out of the shareholder pocket. And that becomes very easy to do and enticing. And in doing so, they lose focus on in, uh, individuals. How much does this also play on to just the back of the attorney generals here in the United States. And you mentioned Eric Holder and, and Jeff, Jeff Sessions. You also have, you know, Loretta, Loretta Lynch. I mean, does this really play on their backs as well? Absolutely. You mean, are they responsible? Yeah. Do they have responsibility for yeah. it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Eric Holder sends a message, and Eric Holder did not prioritize these investigations, and he could have sent a message that we want to create a bunch of task forces, and we want to um, 
uh, assign prosecutors to start to look at this and um, be uh, take these prosecutions of financial crises cases seriously, and then um, and then focus on individuals. They they uh, Holder through his messages um, to his um, uh, you know to the people with staff said uh, we settlements are okay, and uh, what I yeah. want is multi billion dollar settlements, huge numbers, so that I can have press conferences, <laughs> and that's not the way to get justice. Yeah, because the you know charging a company millions and billions of dollars is one thing, but uh, letting the executive off with basically a slap on the wrist or not even that, uh, you know, that there was the underlying story that just, uh, you know, it, it unfortunately didn't get played enough at the time, and, and it's good to do a book like this to really kind of bring that out to a degree. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Jesse Isinger is the author of the book, The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Um, I guess to a degree, and and maybe Wells Fargo is, is again, an example of this, that there just is not the concern by executives of you know, prosecutorial impact on, on, on things they do. Uh, they, they just don't have the concern that, that, as you said, the Justice Department is going to come after them at all, correct? I, you know, it's hard to look into their heads to really understand what they're doing, but uh, I don't think that they uh, feel any deterrence from committing crimes or exploiting their customers because they uh, don't see anybody going to prison. I think that there's a big argument about whether prison is effective or whether it deters crime. And My argument is that in the white-collar arena with corporate executives, it absolutely deters crime because sure. these people are um, well-informed, they pay attention to the news, they have a stake in society, they have their reputations to preserve. And so if you put a CEO or two in prison, it will um, really have a kind of cascading effect throughout the financial system, throughout the corporate um, corporate America. Um, and so I think these kind of prosecutions pay dividend. By contrast, as you say, um, if you don't prosecute, they understand. And if you look at a banker, a banker looks around and says, I got pay- paid huge bonuses. Um, yeah. We destroyed the financial system, and nobody went to prison, and nobody really paid a fine, and nobody really had any reputational cost. Um, why shouldn't I just do that again? And, and the fact that Goldman Sachs and, and Lloyd Blankfein are, are still uh, very much uh, at the top of the news pretty much on a weekly basis at this point. Right. They didn't lose their jobs, and uh, they get to go to the Metropolitan Opera Galas, and yeah. uh, um, and they're... Uh, citizens in fine standing in uh, elite societies. So the, the reputational cost was nil. Does I, I mentioned how much this this plays on the backs of the attorney generals, but uh, how much does it play on the backs of the people at the White House? Well, um, I don't I never found a kind of smoking gun where Timothy Geithner, the Treasury Secretary, called up Eric Holder and said, lay off the banks. Um, I don't think this was a priority for them. And uh, so one of the things they say is, well, we didn't uh, see any crimes that we could have prosecuted. We have to be very careful as prosecutors, and we can't just go willy-nilly and respond to the pishbork-wielding mob. And my argument is, well, actually, the evidence shows that you didn't look. If you didn't look, it's yeah. not surprise, no surprise that you didn't find crimes. So Obama did a lot of um, superficial things like uh, um, 
you know, hold some press conferences and uh, talk about this issue and uh, and have a kind of fake task force that uh, really wasn't a kind of serious task force like the Enron task force. And those were those were, um, as you can imagine, inadequate responses to the greatest financial crisis since the Great Depression. Well, and and Enron was obviously a very interesting case just from the the scope of, of where that company was at that period of time and what they actually did and. Again, as you say, I mean, it, it was a much different world back then uh, in terms of thinking about prosecuting. And, and the fact that they went forward with it obviously was something that was a necessary piece at that point. Obviously, what happened, as we mentioned in the in the post part of it with uh, with the Supreme Court and and a variety of other elements, uh, it, it did take the sting away from it. But at least when you think about the course of what the government and what the Justice Department was up until that point, they had the right idea that you had to go after these people. You, There is no way that you can let them not, f- at, at worst, feel the pressure of possibly going to jail. Yes, and, you know, today they kind of hate losing. And the Enron uh, team lost some cases, and uh, some cases were overturned. And uh, that was, uh, um, that was you know, um, the way they take the lumps in uh, when you prosecute these very difficult cases, and there's no question that uh, these cases are hard to prosecute and hard to prove, but they won more cases than they lost, and they won the important cases against the founders, the top two guys. And I think that this is not something that they could do today. I think that if Jeff Skilling and Ken Lay, the two heads of Enron, were on trial um, today in America and with the Department of Justice, we would not win that case. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments are welcome. 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. In going through the the, the preparation for this book and, and writing it out, because of, of where we have kind of gone with the Justice Department, uh, and, and obviously what happened with the recession as well, is there a concern that in your mind and maybe some of the people that you talked because of what happened and how big the scope of of the recession was uh, almost a decade ago that we are just as likely to see something like that occur down the road because of the fact that the justice department really is not going to you know put its foot on the necks of of some of the people involved here I think that contributes to it. I mean, I, I think another financial crisis is inevitable. Um, we, you know, we have uh, financial crises in this country uh, with some regularity. Um, in fact, you can't really stamp them out. What you could do is make the banks more stable so that they uh, don't take the entire economy with them um, when they do fail or when you you limit the uh, you limit the fallout. We, we're going to have another financial crisis. I'm not predicting that it's going to happen soon. I'm just predicting that it will happen. And um, uh, one of the problems, one of the reasons why we're going to have reckless behavior again is that uh, we didn't punish anybody. Who do you think was was the the greatest case uh, of getting off the hook in terms of the, the, the banking industry uh, around 2008-2009? Well, I'm not a lawyer, and the book is not a um, brief, a legal brief for any one executive. It's a narrative that follows a bunch of characters, a bunch of uh, heroic people who try to buck the system um, in the legal world and the bureaucracy. But I think that if 
um, my argument is we could have put dozens and dozens of bankers away if we had really looked. And I think that they should have looked much harder at Countrywide and Angelo Mazzillo and Lehman Brothers yeah. um, uh, and the top executives there. And they should have looked at uh, Merrill Lynch and Citigroup and the CDO business. Um, the collateralized debt obligation business is complex mortgage securities. Um, and I think that if they had looked, they would have found crimes. And if they'd found crimes, they could have won these cases. Just uh, just thinking about what the impact was on the housing sector over that period of time. And, and obviously, we're, you know, nine years out from this. And there are still people that are feeling the effects of that, uh, whether that be, you know, the number of houses that are, are, are still in foreclosure, uh, the number of, of people that have their, you know, their mortgage that are underwater at this point. I mean, you know, all of these people got, got away pretty much scot-free, and a lot of the consumers are still feeling the pinch right now. Absolutely. I think we're living with the financial crisis um, today, and we will continue to live with it. Its effects, uh, its effects uh, it, it continues to affect our economy and uh, our politics. I think that uh, the lack of accountability contributed to undermining uh, belief in Obama uh, undermined a belief in Hillary Clinton and whether she was serious about cracking down on Wall Street, which she yeah. ran on. And uh, I think it contributed to Trump's rise. So we are living with the effects of the financial crisis and the lack of accountability for the aftermath. Jesse Isinger is the author uh, of the book, The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. Your comments at 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, and again, you know, where we are in this country right now, there is an expectation uh, of regulation being pulled back. Uh, and again, like you said, you can't really gauge on when potentially we might see a, uh, a another financial crisis. But seemingly the expectation is there. And, and to have the path of the Justice Department not looking to prosecute the way that it probably should, uh, to have potentially... Uh, the White House go down the path that it uh, that it may be going. I mean, we're talking about a one-two punch here that that could have a significant effect. Again, not maybe in the next year or two, but seemingly in the next decade, maybe two decades, something like that. Yeah, I um, I think that that's right. Um, you know, we're going to have to be vigilant. I think that um, the you know it's kind of slightly there. I think it's a slightly separate issue whether we have a financial crisis and a destabilization of the capital markets and um, prosecutions. And uh, that really comes about, the kind of financial crises come about through deregulation. Um, and right now we're um, setting ourselves up for a big deregulatory wave under the Trump administration. I think it's quite dangerous. I don't think the regulation went far enough after the financial crisis. I think the banks are healthier, but they're not healthy. I think the system is more stable, but not stable enough. Um, and instead, we're going to start to roll back those reforms. That's going to cause a problem. And I would never be stupid enough to predict when, um, but I uh, can predict in certainty that uh, we're, we're planting the seeds right now of a grave financial crisis. But realistically, could we have had a, a you know, if if there had been more prosecutions of, uh, of these people and, and uh, whether or not they won or not, I mean, obviously, I think, the, it, it, as you said, if they found the evidence, if they really did a search for the evidence, they would have found it. And obviously, you could have you could have lined them up uh, in court cases uh, that would have had an impact on. Uh, the end of the Obama administration and could have very well had an impact on, on who would be president of the United States right now. 
I think so. First of all, I think that we would have had a stronger reform effort because people would have understood that there was a core of fraud that happened in the financial crisis and that, that needed to be rooted out and, um, and addressed. So one thing is we would have had much more serious reform. Um, we would have had a sense of accountability. A sense of accountability would have led to a different kind of attitude about what Obama did in the wake of the financial crisis, and uh, and then his whoever ran in his stead, uh, Hillary Clinton. It also would have undermined any argument that uh, the Republican candidate had that there was, you know, that bankers uh, had taken over Washington and that the Democratic Party was in the pocket of the bankers, which is what Trump did run on. So um, I think history would be different if we had prosecuted adequately in the wake of the financial crisis. Uh, obviously when you're talking about some of the players in this from the, uh, from the, from the, uh, uh, from the federal level, you mentioned, uh, Holder, uh, what about some of the other people like Loretta Lynch, like Jim Comey in, in terms of really trying to, and wanting to push forward, I guess to a degree they may have wanted to, but, uh, again, from the upper levels of the process, uh, they probably got shut down very quickly. Well, when Lynch comes in after Holder leaves, she and her deputy attorney general, Sally Yates, change the policy at the Department of Justice. And it is a tacit admission that Holder went down the wrong route. They essentially say, we need to prosecute individuals when we look at corporate prosecutions. Um, and, of course, I agree with that fundamental tenet. But the problem with it is that they're still basing the regime on settlements with corporations. Yeah. And they're still um, still fining corporations rather than trying to um, root out serious crime in a more serious way. And, um, and what this will lead to and has led to, to the extent that it's successful, is that corporations finger a kind of fall guy. Uh, they throw some employee under the bus, a mid-level employee, but they don't really get to the top. So there's, uh, this is a big problem in this country. We have essentially outsourced and privatized investigations of corporate wrongdoing to the corporations themselves. Um, and uh, Loretta Lynch and Sally Yates kind of recognize that a little bit and um, tacitly criticized it, but didn't go remotely far enough. Jesse, thanks very much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Jesse Eisinger. The book is The Chicken Shit Club, Why the Justice Department Fails to Prosecute Executives. Great to have Jesse joining us here on the show. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 